Hello and welcome to East Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today we've seen Matilda the Musical. Yes. In the cinema. A uh, complete title is Roald Dahl's Matilda the Musical. Mm. Matilda the Musical. Um, Before you yeah? start, I want to complain about Cineworld. This is our second visit in two days to Cineworld Broad Street. Yesterday we saw Corsage and the subtitles were off the screen and we had to call in to get it changed. They got it changed, but only 10 minutes into the film, not from the beginning of the film. And they didn't readjust the focus, which they should have, because they zoomed out the image, the focus changed, and it didn't affect the film too much, because it's 35mm, it has a soft look anyway, but they should have fixed it properly. They didn't. And today, you know, we had to call them to start the film, because the film was meant to start at 4.20, at 20 to 5, there weren't even trailers, there was no light in the cinema, and it was very cold in the cinema, so... Uh, uh, it was interesting to observe that the hallways were all heated, but the cinema itself was like super cold, which I'm sure is not noticeable if the cinema is packed, but it's very noticeable when Mm. it's not so packed. Uh, So, I mean, I care less about that, but really, the subtitles, focus, and starting the film are pretty essential, and particularly at a time when cinemas are complaining about getting customers in. Mm. Those are really basic, fundamental things uh, that need looking after. Yeah, today we saw uh, Matilda in screen 8, and yesterday Corsage was in screen 10, and screens 8, 9, and 10 at Cineworld and Broad Street are the ones on the upper floor right at the back, and they're the mm. small screens, and they're the ones where you, f- you feel like they're not giving a fuck about what's being shown in there. Mm. They're small, they're not the IMAX, they're not the bigger screens, you know, and you do feel a bit neglected. I mm. um, anyway, sorry I- to interrupt, and let's go back to the film. Yes. <laughs> Uh, so we saw Matilda the Musical, which is based on the 2011 um, stage play, music and lyrics by Tim Minchin, and the book written by uh, Dennis Kelly. Mm. This film is directed by the director of that, Matthew Walkus, mm. um, who you're saying is the director of The Old Vic. Yeah. And obviously, originally, this is based on um, the book Matilda by Roald Dahl, which was published in 1988, the year mm. of my birth. And it's funny, we, we mentioned yesterday, because you said you wanted to see this, and I actually didn't know whether you would be interested in it or not, but... I was because Roald Dahl was a big part of my childhood, mm. you know. So um, I don't actually remember if I read Matilda. I read lots of his other. I read his poetry. I read the BFG, Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. I think I read SEO Trot. Um, George's Marvelous Medicine was fucking great. The Witches, mm. you know. I read lots of his, and Roald Dahl is very well regarded for kind of understanding kids. You know, I mean, mm. I, I think all the best kind of children's authors have have a good sense of the fact that kids like kind of quite nasty stuff, mm. you know, like you get the, you get the kind of fairy tales and things. And sometimes particularly Disney kind of has this quite idealized view of, you know, how kids are sort of, kids are happy and lovely and pure and everything. But someone like the Brothers Grimm and someone like Roald Dahl really get that kids like to see their parents getting kind of destroyed and blown up and all that sort of stuff. That's what Roald Dahl's full of. And Matilda is about this young girl. Uh, she's older in this than she was in the 1996 film, mm. um, which was... Again, part of my childhood, you know, uh, which was directed by Danny DeVito. Mm. Um, she's, what, six years old in that. And here she's sort of 10 or 11. And I think part of that is because she needs to handle much more advanced dialogue and quite complicated lyrics. Mm. Um, I don't know how old she was in the, in the in the book. And it's funny, she's got quite a lot going on in her life, Matilda, right? It, it, when I, I re-watched the 96 one yesterday and you watched about half of it. Mm. And I'm seeing this today. What I was reminded of it being the first time in some 20-odd years I'd seen it, 
is how disparate a lot of the strands are. So she's hyper-intelligent. Um, she develops these telekinetic powers. Mm-hmm. She has a, a bad home life. She's treated very badly by her parents who didn't want her. Uh, she gets a bad school life. She mm-hmm. goes to a school where the headmistress, Miss um, Trunchbull, is kind of psychotic and mm-hmm. um, and uh, a despot. And a murderess. Yes. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> um, she has a love of literature... And these are all kind of, you know, th- there's definitely relationships between them, but it's funny how, how kind of disparate they are. And I think the 96 film, um, which is, it would be unfair to compare it to it too much, but I will have to a bit because it's, I'm so familiar with it and it's, you know, I love it. Um, and it's the other Matilda on screen that made those, um, those strands more coherent and mm. bringing them together. Um, you know, so when she develops her powers in that film, she works very hard to do so. And then she uses them using her intelligence to take down Trunchbull in using the, what her knowledge of Trunchbull's family life. It kind of, it all comes together quite smartly. Here, I felt that the film did a worse job of making those coherent. It felt a little bit more over the place. I think part of that might be because it being a musical. Um, it has less time to develop those things in between the songs, and the mm. songs kind of ex. Well, well, okay, go on. I mean, I just think it's a poor film. Okay, right. Uh, so I think it's very poorly directed. I think the child actress at the center of it is not bad, but she's not appealing. She's not charismatic enough to carry a musical. Alicia, th- Alicia Weir, her name is. I think they've made really terrible choices throughout. Looking at the first 40 minutes or so, which I saw of the Danny DeVito film, Mm. you think, you know, this is someone who knows about cinema. I mean, you know, he might not be one of the greatest directors, but the film had a look and a style and, you know, whereas actually this is just a complete fizzle visually. You know, it tries to integrate the choreography and to make the choreography visual, but actually that has very little impact. And it does things that to me just kind of almost like, you know, don't quite make sense. So, you know, why have Emma Thompson, you know, be at the center of this and make her almost unrecognizable, you know, except through her voice. So I think kind of, you know, visually, musically, and dramatically, it's just a fizzle. Musically is interesting. It won um, the Olivier for Best New Musical, Mm. and it was nominated for the Tony for um, the lyrics. It won for the book. Mm. Um, And... Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I really like the, the songs and lyrics in this. I've listened to the soundtrack before, so I was already familiar with the musical to a degree before we saw the film as well, because um, I got the soundtrack and I listened to it in the car, um, and I knew some of the songs. Some of them I actually don't care about all that much. So, like, mm. there's songs with Miss Honey, where she sings about her home life, and there was a whole thing about the story that Matilda's writing, which, again, don't know if it was there in the Roald Dahl book. It certainly wasn't there in the 96 film, that Matilda is writing this story, and then she comes to learn that it's actually a true story about Miss mm. Honey. Um, those songs, I guess because they didn't make sense to me and they weren't that, and they were a bit, I don't know, just a bit kind of dour and sad and stuff. I don't listen to when mm. it's, but well, what, they, but, they sound is very forgettable to me. Well, I mean, I think there may be an element of that as well, but it's just because I didn't actually know the particulars of the story. So I didn't get them. What I, the songs I was really looking forward to were school song, mm. which is where they sing. I mean, it's, it's kind of a spoiler because school song, it's funny, School Song has a spoiler in it, which I kind of don't want to reveal. And I recommend people listen to it because when I first listened to it, I didn't get what it was doing. And mm. then there's a trick played halfway through and then it's all revealed. And I thought, oh God, that's so clever. Such mm. clever lyrics. 
Um, I was really looking forward to that. I was really looking forward to Bruce, which is where Bruce Bogtroster eats the cake. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, there's some really fun, just a lot of rhyming, a lot of funny rhyming. Um, Revolting Children, which is what they sing towards the end, having defeated Miss Trunchbull. Um, and The Smell of Rebellion, which is in this film where she takes them to do um, PE. It's mm-hmm. called Phys Ed, and there's a reason for that. It's because it's because Phys Ed helps you can rhyme with it, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't actually call it in Phys Ed, phys ed in this country. Um, it's called PE, but whatever, you let it go. Also, I think, because Tim mentioned Australian, I think maybe they call it Tip Fizz Ed in Australia. Mm. Um, anyway, I was looking forward to these four, and for the most part, I was quite pleased, but they all have kind of very big production and big kind of choral backing from all the kids. Mm. And I found that quite lacking here, and I don't know if it's the screening we saw it at, or if it's actually how the soundtrack has been produced. But I don't know if you noticed the same thing, that the background was really muted and almost mm. and kind of dipped out at one or two points, which made me think it was a screening issue, because I can't mm. imagine you would, you would let that get into the final film. Um, I found that quite quite disappointing because, you know, listening to the to the music to the to the stage musical soundtrack, they're big, big numbers and they end in these big, big ways. They sounded better in your car than they did in the film, that's yeah, true. We listened to them in the car on the way um. back. Um and the other thing that really disappointed me. And this goes to the spoilery elements of of school song, which I don't want to reveal. Is um, when that trick is revealed in the mm. second half of the song, I thought the staging of it was really poor because in order to help you get the the trick of it, you're kind of you're shown things on screen, right? Mm. I'm talking quite vaguely, but you'll know what I'm talking about if you've seen the film. Um, and what you're shown, I think, is is not that imaginative. Very very one note. You know, you, you could show what it needs to show in all sorts of different ways, through choreography, through all sorts of different setting. It doesn't do that very much. It's mm. pretty, you know, you just see doors, right? Mm. I thought that was really weak. You know, I wanted so much more from that because that's such a good reveal. Yeah. Well, I mean, visually, the film is so uh, unbelievably pedestrian. There were certain things that offered such opportunities, right? The whole fantasy of the acrobat and the escape artist. Right, you could see they'd gone some effort into the stage design, mm. the costuming, and so it just didn't look dazzling enough. It didn't look spectacular enough. There mm. wasn't like an original shot, you know, or an image that kind of stood out in all of that. The same thing, I think, with a chocolate cake sequence, right? Yeah, you know, having a red mist come out—that is not the most spectacular thing you can do in a cinema, right? In a movie. And then again, I also thought the thing with the chains at the end, right, where which creates kind of this destructive. Uh, um, phantom monster. Mm-hmm. There were so many visual possibilities with that, right? And I think the choices were very pedestrian. I mean, you know, it wasn't necessarily bad. Like, you could see what they were trying to do. But it's just that what they were trying to do was not being communicated through potent images. That Yeah? Yeah. I wonder how that looks on stage, because they can't be doing it exactly like that. They, uh, From what I just read of the synopsis of of the stage version, it does end with this with this spelling scene, the spelling test scene, and then all these multiple chokies, which you know, again that that wasn't from ninety six. Um, she's built a chokie for every student, and then you know Matilda gets the chalk to write on the board to reveal Miss Trunchbull's crime and so on, and to threaten her, which yeah is was there in ninety six as well, better done in ninety six. It worked much better there. Um, as a kind of threat, but the, but the central thing here that makes it that I think oh they didn't do this on stage or they kind of done it on stage is the giant chain monster that mm. Matilda builds to, to threaten you know makes it the ghost of her dad mm. to threaten Miss um, Trunchbull. I thought you know like that, that's that's definitely something that they have 
they have to have done it just for this film because you can do it on screen. And I didn't mind it at all. I thought it worked quite well. It made sense. It made a good climax out of the escapologist's acrobat story, mm. you know, and worked it in nicely. I thought that made sense. Actually, that was that was essentially an addition. Again, I'll have to keep saying this. I don't know if it was in the book, but it wasn't in the 96 version, this whole escapologist acrobat storytelling mm. thing. Mm. Um and I think it, you know, I thought it was worked in quite roughly for the most part. It was just one of those many disparate elements. But because I feel that all of the elements that are disparate here are worked in less coherently, I didn't mind the addition of it. You see what I mean? It didn't sure. like stand out as extra incoherent. It was just one of many things the film was juggling. Yeah. I, I mean, I didn't mind the combining of uh, yeah. all of those things. I was just kind of put off by the film being so visually uninteresting <laughs> when the story itself offers so many possibilities, mm. right, for that kind of spectacle. And I think the the proof of the pudding in this is really the last sequence, right, where you have the camera pull out, you know, and you have the school now with an amusement park around it, and it's the most cliché-ish, stupid mm. image of fake happiness <laughs> that yeah, I've ever seen, yeah. right? So, um, and it's also it's like this thing of what happiness looked like to kids in 1957. Yeah, you know? yeah. Which is, I get, you know, the film is set in the past, right? It's set in that era, and, and a lot of attention has been paid, I assume, to all of those, all that branding you see on the sweets of the time. Mm. So it's curly worthies and what's it and iron brew, but all the packaging is, I assume, accurate to the time. Mm. You know, because it's definitely not modern packaging, um, and those things are kind of nice. But it is, it does have this. Feeding. Mind you, it also reminded me of like Pink Floyd's The Wall, you know? And mm. I think this is not just particular to this film. I think there's something about, I think Roald Dahl actually, generally speaking, has something of this in him as well, which is this, this, this idea of school as a kind of, um, oh, concentration camp is too heavy, but like, it's, de- there's definitely like a post-war hangover, like, it's like a punishment camp, right? Mm. You know, where kids are sent to just be punished and, and, and kept in prison. Um, and there's, and Pink Floyd's The Wall is like, it's all about that. And it's really potent and really rich. And obviously that's very different. It's not really for kids. Um, but you definitely feel it here and you feel it. I actually quite like the use of Trunchbull is like surveying the school, mm-hmm. surveilling the school with all their cameras, which, you know, you think, how accurate is that to the time? Well, it doesn't really matter. It's a really nice image and I sure. like it. Her, I mean, her introduction, I think, is actually really good. You hardly see her. She's shot just in like the half her face right to the camera, her hands on the controls, and it's gently sort of gradually brought in. And actually her introduction in the 96 version, which mm. is played by Pam Ferris, is really good as well. It does a similar sort of thing where she's she's first speaking to Mr. Wormwood, getting a car off him, and you see it in silhouette, and he's very small because he's down to beat her, and she's enormous because she's the terrifying trunchbull. And then when she shows up in the playground... And all the kids have to be, you know, dead silent and stand to attention. You just see shots of her, like, riding crop and her mm. feet and stuff before you get the shot. It's quite an intimidating introduction. I think it was really... And, I, and actually, I do like the look of her. I like, you know, you say, oh, yeah, Emma Thompson is highly recognisable. I didn't think so. I didn't know she played her in this. And when I saw her, I thought, oh, that's Emma Thompson. Mm. And I liked the way she looked. And I liked... It. The other thing is that the image of the Trunchbull that Pam Ferris played, to me, is iconic. Right. And I know iconic is a word that kids just use way too much these days, but it, it's a word that it like it has stuck with me forever. That is the image of her. Um, well, Emma Thompson and, could have done it with her own face. I, I don't see why you have to use digital imaging on a, on a star. Well, I don't think she was. I think that looked to me clearly it was prosthetic. Uh, you know, I'm not she, sure she's added, it was. they've added to the first. But what I'm, what I'm saying is that um, 
if I were, you know, to, to kind of to reimagine Trunchbull um, is quite, to me, a, like a daunting idea because I have an image of it. It's like trying, it's like trying to reimagine Frankenstein, Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> um, and I like the way it was done here, right? It made, it made a new Trunchbull. I liked, I liked the way she was used. The one thing I didn't like, I don't know if you agree with this or not, is in the song where she's um, doing PE with the kids and torturing them, um, she goes on a like a flight of fancy where she imagines a world with no children, how happy she would be. And during that song, she is swinging on a swing happily, and she's wearing a white dress and her hair's down, and she's got um, you know fairly heavy makeup. Oh, it's a horrible image. I I, th- I thought it was really in bad taste actually because the joke of that bit shouldn't be that she's a joke of a woman, right? It doesn't do that with the rest of it. It doesn't make her overly masculine for the rest mm. of the time, right? I, I think I think it's really unfair, actually. The joke is that you cut back to her in real life, swinging on a tyre swing, and the kid's going, wow, she's crazy. Mm. That's the joke, right? Mm. She's in a world of her own. I thought that was really in bad taste that they that they emphasised this, this lack of femininity to her, that, she, mm. that if she tries to be a woman, she's a joke. Mm. I thought that was really bad. Mm. Well, I thought there were so many bad things about it. You see, the thing is, this director had previously done Pride, which I love. Mm. And actually, you know, the strengths of that were, I thought, you know, the dramatic and political and the elements of acting, right? And I think you could see some of those strengths here because actually the only things I truly loved about this film are some of the performers. Mm-hmm. Though, again, I'm, I'm, I don't want to make too much out of the cinematic versus the theatrical, but I love Andrea Risborough, you know, with her very broad uh, performance as the mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the librarian. What's her name? Sindhu V. So I thought she was wonderful. And I also loved uh, the school teacher, Miss Honey. Oh, um, Lashana Lynch. Yeah, who was just so warm and appealing and, you know... Um, and I did enjoy Emma Thompson, though I do think it's a mistake to make her visually unrecognizable. I recognize her instantly as well, but really through her voice, mm. uh, you know, not through her face. Um, so I couldn't understand why they cast a young girl. And, you know, I was reading quickly on the wiki page and she said she gave a marvelous addition. I'm thinking, well, did she give a marvelous addition or did she do a marvelous screen test? Because they are different things. Mm. And I think the girl on camera is pretty uncharismatic. Like, I wouldn't say dead, but almost, yeah? Because she's not bad. She's just not appealing, right? I kind uh, of get what you mean, although I didn't I, I didn't like her at the start, but I think I was comparing her again to what I remember of 96 and the fact that she was older and I thought, oh, she's there's something much more precocious about her now that I wasn't quite enjoying. But I, I started to, to like her, basically. Mm, well, but I do know what you mean. She lacks a certain something. Yeah, I mean, the film is her film and, you know, you need somebody more charismatic than that to carry it. Mm. Um, I, th- I You know, some of the numbers were appealing. I think that's the ones you mentioned, you know. Um, I kind of, I liked a lot of the ethos of it or the thesis of it or, mm. you know, the naughtiness, the resistance, the making your own future that is not preordained. I kind of liked all of those elements of it. But, you know, I kind of thought that they were altogether, in, in, in my view, a very poor film. Um, I'll tell you the actors I noted. Uh, which I didn't expect to, because I generally speaking think that British child actors are shit. 
And right at the start, actually, the girl who plays Lavender, her friend, um, was not very good. Mm. And I said to you, like, that's why in the other one they cast Americans. Because there is a thing in that film, like, <laughs> it's all Americans, apart from Miss Trunchbull, who's English. And, mm. that's, and, also, and I remember when I was watching that, I was thinking, oh, she's the original Super Nanny. Like, in America, I don't know if it's still, it's still on, but they definitely loved Super Nanny. Mm. And it was this British nanny who came over and taught everyone discipline. Sure. And it's like, there, it's Miss Trunchbull, right, from 96. Um, and Babe had something similar. It's supposed to be set in like the West Country or Cornwall or something, but everyone's American. It's mm. like it makes no sense whatsoever, but it didn't matter. It was a lovely film. Mm. Um, here it's all English, and I thought, oh god, here we go, right, English child actors. They're dreadful, um, but they weren't right. So the kid who played Bruce Bogtrotter, I liked. I thought he was had a bit of spunk and charm and that sort of thing. Um, I liked the girl who played. I guess she's she's a prefect, and she's kind of the one who's trying to terrify them that the trunch balls I liked her the one with the pink hair at the end can't remember if her hair went pink but she's the older one mm, right? Yeah, yeah. and and there's a song a short song which was not on the on the musical soundtrack so I was thrilled to to have it in this uh, which is where they just talk about the chokey mm. where the kids get sent there's you know, nails and stuff and it's only a re- it's a really really short song but all the kids that know about the chokey they're like climbing over the climbing frame and in really creepy ways, like it looked like this kind of multi-limb monster. It was really creepy just for a minute when they sang this. And the other kid I liked was the telekinipsis kid. Oh, I like they call him, right? Yeah. I thought, you know, the moment he came on screen, I was like, this kid, fucking give him the whole film. I love him. Mm. It was really charming, really lovely. Yeah, well, um, you know, there were some good ones, but the central one was a dud. I, and also, when it comes to the look of the film, I, for the most part, agree with you. It's It's very pedestrian, very middle of the road. Um, and I was looking for, you know, how are the numbers going to be filmed, right? It's a musical. It's mm. about the numbers. Um, and I've already said, you know, I, I object really to the way that School Song is is shot and produced. I think it's a flop. Um, it doesn't make enough of its of its hook. Um, I did like Quiet, which is when the Trunchbull is coming at Matilda, and the camera starts swirling around her, and she mm. and she's and it's again very quick, complex lyrics, and things are getting faster and faster and louder and louder inside her head. I thought that worked really, really nicely. Once you get into the clouds, it dies mm. because because then the song goes all quiet and everything. But for that building up, it really, really worked. I, liked I mean, there it. were some interesting ideas, and you could see that they tried that they paid attention. So, for example, with the choreography, you know, you were conscious that they were trying to make choreography for the camera, mm. right? It just wasn't very well realised. Yeah. yeah. So When the kids are dancing towards the camera at the end, when they've mm. defeated Trunchbull, um, a light, as you say, it was it was there for the camera. They were coming towards the camera that everyone was acting in, kind of blocked and staged mm. for the camera. And I was surprised by the dancing, actually. You know, it's 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 very heavily cut, and it's not really the focus of it so much as because it's all about the school spilling out and this chaos that everyone's won. So I don't object to the fact you don't see very much of it. But what you did see, I was really surprised by. I just I liked it was especially that older girl, um, the prefect girl. I'm assuming she was. Um, she's she's a really good dancer, and it was really unusually. It felt like I mean I don't know dance all that well, right? But it felt like quite modern and all these all these kind of sharp jerky movements. I really enjoyed. Well, I thought the numbers uh, were were poorly choreographed, right? All those, you know. So the kids, you had them jumping on chairs and jumping on tables and jumping out of chairs. Mm. And again, I thought there was an attempt to make it cinematic. Often there was an overhead camera, or you know, but actually it wasn't to me contributing anything to the feel of the song or what the film was kind of. It wasn't an element in conjunction with the orchestrator, with the others, 
to you know to push mm. this number or to convey this number. So um, I yeah, I yeah. kind of I thought it was poor. The issue uh, I have with revolting children generally. And I'm surprised to find that this is something that is true of the musical as well, the the, the stage musical, because I was reading the synopsis, um, is you know, the lyrics of that song are about, we can spell how we want, we don't have to listen to the trunchbull, we can fight, and we're revolting children living mm-hmm. in revolting times, right? So, you know, the, the, a pun on revolting. It's it's song about revolution. And it comes after they've won, mm. which was, it just, it was really weird to me. And I thought, I oh, have they moved it? Mm. And because it should come before it, like to me, it's always sounded like a building up mm. to the, to the, to the battle song. And it comes after as a triumph song. It was just really weird to me. Like you don't have the, have the victory and then have a revolution. Mm. So I just thought that was weird. I, mean, I like the song still though. That element is also to me a sign of, you know, the cinematic and poverty of the film. Because, you know, that moment where they bring down the statue of Miss Trunchbull. Trunchbull, you know, it's obviously meant to evoke those statues of Lenin and Stalin. Yeah, that kind Saddam of... Saddam Hussein. Yeah, Saddam Hussein, all of those things, you know. And so you instantly get that reference, right? But actually what's not being communicated is how the children might feel liberated or changed or, yeah, to make a dramatic image of that moment, right? Mm. Um, so... Yeah, that's it. Um, I want to ask you one thing, because one of the things, you know, that a friend said is that one of the things she hated about this film is how snobby it was. Did you find it snobby? Oh, that's interesting. It, it, well, it definitely... Um, it, I, yeah, I was thinking about this. Again, I was thinking about this in some way with the 96 film, um, because Matilda's family are coded essentially as lower class and thick, mm. right? And in the 96 film, there's a huge amount of emphasis on the family life, much more than there is here. Mm. Um, and, and which is, I mean, I really like it. It works so well for the 96 film. And it, and it, it you know, it makes, it's just, it's so much, it just makes so much more sense of Matilda's story, really. Here, it's all about the school to the point where um, the, the, the fight at the end of this with, with Trunchbull and the chalk and scaring her into leaving is relocated to the school here. Mm. Whereas in the 96 film, that's all about Trunchbull's home life and it mm. happens in her home. Right. So there was, you know, it's, it's an interesting, it's an indication of how the emphasis is different. It's all about the school life here, mm. much more so. Um, and the thing is in the 96 film, it's all about, you know, watching the telly, not reading books. You have the same scene of him ripping up the book from the library all of this, like they're incredibly cruel and they, they kind of revel in their stupidity. But there's something about it that feels a critique of American culture <laughs> the, in that film. I mean, I read it yeah, yeah. that way. It's certainly that, but I was going to say it feels like, um, like, like we still like that family, right? We kind of accept them and, and, and we know ultimately that I guess Matilda's going to you know, win out in the end. And ultimately what that film has is an incredible respect for knowledge. And, you know, like when he rips up the book, that's not, you know, it's like it's, it's, it's an awful thing to do. Same as it is here. Yeah. It's an awful thing to do and you can't do it and it's, a, it's the wrong thing and everything. And that film is all about the respect for knowledge. And, and that film ends with a shot of um, Matilda and Miss Honey at home together reading Moby Dick, right, I think. Um, so that's like, that's, that's, that's the whole kind of key. Here, I think you, what you get less of with the parents is a feeling of 
of how like their lives might be valuable or might be happy or all that kind of thing that I, I can't I can't think how to phrase it, but it, it feels less kind to the parents. Um, yes, I think here they are very much a working class caricature. I mean, there's something Essex about them. Yeah, yeah, sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and we were listening to to a couple of the songs, uh, you know, as we said on on the way back from the cinema, and you can hear it their Cockney accents, mm. in it, right? Whereas all the kids. Um, are these kind of quite refined sort of Londony accents, mm. which I think back when we saw Paddington too, and I was like, kids do not fucking talk like this. They're vicious and they're mm. you know nasty and they have accents and stuff. That's just how kind of British cinema wants its wants its children to be seen, apparently. Mm. Um, or, or well, I say British cinema. That's a big term. A certain kind of British cinema. I think you're it's basically snobby is a word I agree with, right? It mm. has an element of that, and I don't like it. And I think there is a way of communicating you know, kind of what those parents are like without without looking down on them so much. Mm. But to some degree, they are. They should be looked down on to a certain degree. They, you know, they don't have any respect for knowledge. They don't have any respect for literature. They don't have any respect for the fact that their little girl is incredibly special and needs support and could, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, they're selfish and they're scammers and thieves. But they are also the only lower middle class element in the film. Yeah, exactly. So I think it is an issue. Yeah, um, because I mean, the thing is, it's with Roald Dahl, it's not like you want the parents to be treated nicely. Parents are there to be got back at, and they are nasty caricatures. And and you know, from the kids' perspective, everyone hates their parents, right? And that's what he's giving you. Mm. you know, so, so I don't mind that. I don't mind the kind of villainy. But you're right; they are the one. That's mm. that's the, that is exactly the right thing. They are the one lower or working class element, and they are looked down upon. Mm. Uh It was. The number one film in the country in its opening week, replacing Wakanda Forever or whatever it's called. Yeah, the, sequ- the sequence of Black Panther. Mm. Why do you think that is? Because I do think it's a very poor film. You have to remember that the stage musical is incredibly popular. Yeah. Five star reviews went to Broadway. Like I say, I, could, I, could, I tried to get tickets for years and I couldn't get tickets. Right, so it's massive. Thing, so. so there's a huge yeah. element of that. So you're bringing the biggest play. Mm to cinema screens, right? I think there's a huge element of that. And, I, and you know, we've been critical all throughout. There, there's a lot about the film I enjoyed. My overall impression of the film, I enjoyed it. Well, I think a huge amount of that is based on the fact I think the songs are really good. I don't think they're good. I think they're really, I think they're well-written, clever songs. I like Tim Minchin's writing. I like his lyrics. I think he's a very I clever was, lyricist. I was predicting all his rhymes. <laughs> but there's a lot of them. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I like, I like the, I like how many there are, and I like the. I mean, I you know, I know some of the songs because I listen to them in the car so much, right? I just it's a it's a it's a kind of writing that I really like. Mm. Very incessant rhyming, mm. that sort of thing, and quite quick lyrics. Well, like I say, the songs that are like that are the ones I like. The songs that aren't like that, I don't listen to very mm. much. They're my, they're less interesting to me. Um, so I think that's a huge part of it, and I do you know this big colourful. You take your kids to it. I mean, yeah, the kids enjoyed it. Yeah, there were kids in the cinema. They yeah. were having a good time. Uh, I found it dull. I think it's much worse than the 96 one. I mean, I said at the start I shouldn't compare it to too much and it's all I've done, but fuck it, that's, that's the way, <laughs> that's I feel, way it is. Know, <laughs> that's the way it is. And, and, and now it's, it's funny, when I was watching the 96 one um, last night, one of the first things I thought was, wow, this is well directed. Much better than, because you don't, you don't know what a film being well directed is when you're 10 years old. Hmm. And now I watch it and I'm 34. And I recognise, no, this is so much better than it needs to be to entertain children. You know, mm. it really sounds like there's, there's such an expressive, exciting use of camera. Danny DeVito 
as a performer in it, it's so much fun to watch. Yes. And I, I, I want to. Danny DeVito, I think, is never happier than when he's playing like a real scumbag. Mm. I mean, you see it in um, "It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia." The shit he gets to do in that, he loves it. You yes. know, um, and he gets to be that in this. And there's there's so much attitude and energy in it yeah. that, and this film is lacking all of that. It's it's it, and it's trying to do different things. So fair enough. But it it kind of it sings. But also, in, it's in to me, scene. it's the poorest of the Raoul Dahl adaptations that I've seen. Yeah. I mean, you know, the Chocolate Factory films, you know, particularly the Tim Burton version, you know, it's quite wonderful to see, even mm. though actually it got pretty bad reviews when it came out. But I think, you know, compared to this, it's a cinematic masterpiece. Um, I love The Witches, the, you know, the original uh, film of The Witches. I didn't know there was a film of it. Yeah, it is with Angelica Houston. Okay. Actually, it's, it's even been remade with... Who was Anne Hathaway, the, the remake of it? Really? Yeah, but the original with Angelica Houston is brilliant. Okay. So, you know, I think this is this is the weakest of the ones I can remember oh, seeing. Oh, right, Nick, Nick Rogue directed it. Yeah. How interesting. 1990. I did not know that. Mm. Um, there's obviously the um, Gene... Um, Charlie and Chocolate Factory. Gene, yeah. what's his name? I know who you mean. He was in Young Frankenstein yeah, and so on. Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder, yes. Um, which, again, that was a big part. Yeah, I watched that a lot when I was a little kid. And that's, that, that remains... Um, and again, full of Americans. You know, yeah, but it's you know, but it's one of those things. It's just America took the film, put it full of Americans, and it's absolutely lovely and fun. Mm. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's... And that, yeah, that's still getting... I mean, there's a gif of that that keeps getting used today. It's like it's it's it remains sort of in the public... In the cultural consciousness, um, James and the Giant Peach had a, a release yes. in '96 as well, which was directed by Henry Selick, stop motion, and that was really good. Yes. I loved that. I don't think I made it to the end of the Steven Spielberg adaptation of the BFG. I thought um, that was really shit. Maybe I need to give it a second go, but I thought yeah. it was ponderous and slow. And but my God, again, it has to be much more interesting than this. Um... Maybe not. Maybe it is just that boring. I mean, mm. You know. Maybe. <laughs> uh, so, I'm looking at other film Revolting Rhymes. I've not seen I read, that. Yeah, well, Revolting Is that a film? They did a film with Revolting mm-hmm. Rhymes. That was a book of poetry, which I really liked. Mm. It was There was a poem in it about how Americans say can't and we say can't, and then you made rhymes out of it. I can't remember how it goes. The Fantastic Mr. Fox. Of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which is wonderful. Um, so, there you go. Anyway. Um, I like Roald Dahl. And... Um, you know, he's he's been kind of reevaluated in recent years for anti-Semitism or perceived anti-Semitism. It seems, if you read about it on Wikipedia, it seems a little bit up in the air. It seems like partially it's anti-Israel, partially it's anti-Semitic, and partially it seems like he's just trying to get a rise out of people. You actually can't really tell, I think. Um, yes. And, and a few other things, but... He was a difficult person, ostensibly, so... Seems to be. Um, and I, I remember, because I also read some of his more adult-oriented stuff when I was a little kid, Um there was a, a, a did he write that short story called Skin, where the guy gets his, his tattoo skin tattoo oh. on his back and he gets it skinned and framed or something. It's totally creepy, and um, <laughs> and and he did a he did a, a story about I think a, it's quite a famous one. I think a woman murders her husband with a leg of lamb that she's got frozen in the freezer, and then the detectives come round and she she's cooked it and feeds it to them. Mm. And she gets away with her crime, and there was one which I think was was he was telling a true story about his youth where he said he was nine or ten years old and he had uh, adenoids 
and he really vividly writes about them getting cut out with like a curved blade with no anesthetic and all right. this and it was oh, I, I mean you really feel like the way he was treated by his parents the way they would you know do things in anesthetic the way the doctor would just go and okay okay here we go here here comes out the roof of your mouth snip snip mm. and ha- and the pain and all that you like really feel like oh that is so informed the way he's writing for children mm. you know I mean, the cruelty that's so present in there. Yes. I never read his books because, you know, my parents were Spanish. Um, <laughs> so my, the, the first time I ever heard of him was uh, as Patricia Neal's husband. You know, he was, he was husband to a big American movie star. And she had a stroke at one point. And, yeah, ostensibly, he, he helped heal her back to speaking and walking and so on. And they made a film of it. With Glenda Jackson and Dirk Bogart, a television film in the 1980s, which was very, very popular. And, you know, that's the first thing I've ever heard about Raoul Dahl until I came to England. Yeah, <laughs> well, he's, he's quite a big figure still. Hmm. Um, and the other thing, I guess, that's, that's quite notable that's been um, re-evaluated about his work is the Oompa Loompas in ah, Charlie yes, Chocolate Factory and the kind of the racial stereotypes that they... Um, kind of use slash evoke, yes. Um, and um, and again, you think how much of it is personal prejudice, how much of it is cultural prejudice that this so. is just the way we see the foreigners. Yeah, again, it's it's kind of difficult, and yes. I, and it's one of those things where you feel like you definitely shouldn't throw out the baby with the bathwater with this stuff because his books are still fantastic. Mm. They really are. I would, and really, I, I mean, you know, I always, I think we do need to look at the past in those ways. Actually, you know. But uh, I also think we need to do it in light of the present because one of the things that always struck, strikes me is the extraordinary racism in British culture, yeah, which is kind of of a different kind than you see in America. But for example, the really patronising attitudes um, in British cultural works towards the figure of the American, mm. as if they're just coarse, stupid, uneducated, speaks a kind of an imperial attitude to the rest of the world, mm. right? So if that's the way that you look at the biggest power of the 20th century, imagine how you look at all the others, right? Yeah, the thing is, when, when you were the biggest power of the 19th century and you see that getting destroyed in front of your very eyes, you have to look at the next one comes along and try to make yourself feel better by, you know, I mean, by talking them down. Um, but what, um, what shows the American imperial power better than them taking those stories, putting Americans in them and making them much better than they would be if we were making them. Mm, I don't know. Um, But anyway, we should wrap this up. I think, to me, uh, I'm I'm very glad I saw it because I really loved some of the actors in it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But aside from that, it was a very disappointing film. And as a musical, it's null point. <laughs> well, I still like the songs, and I'm going to listen to half the soundtrack on the way home. I'm still not going to listen to the songs that I'm, you know, a bit boring. Um, but I'll listen to all the ones with fast lyrics because I like them. I, I really trust everyone who says it was brilliant on stage. You know, right. I can imagine being so full of energy in life and we all that go, stuff. We should go see a stage show. Tickets are easier to get now. Yeah, yeah, it might be nice. Oh. Um, and it would be all of that you kind know, of life-affirming stuff that you feel at the end of a play where you go, oh, we, somehow there's still something in this world left to live for. I bet it's got that. This film doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> it's not quite good enough, really. But I did like it. Fuck it. You know. No. All right. Well, there thank are, you. There are worse things to show you kids. Yes. Oh, for sure. Uh, on that note, uh, thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies, and we are on. Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter. 
and the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. <laughs>